A fellow just reeked of alcohol. He came onto the subway and plopped himself down right next to a priest. And this fellow's coat was all tattered. Uh, He had a bottle of whiskey sticking out of his coat pocket. It was half empty. He had red lipstick all over his face. It was obvious he had had a pretty wild night. And he had gotten the, the priest's attention when he plopped down next to him. This fellow then pulls out a newspaper and he starts to read it. And after a few minutes, he looks up from his paper at the priest and he says, "Uh, Do you know what causes arthritis? Well, by this time, the priest was thoroughly disgusted with the guy's smell and his appearance. So he responded harshly. He said, Yes, it's caused by too much alcohol and loose living. Oh, well, I'll be, the guy said. Uh, and put his head back into the newspaper and read some more. And, and the priest began to think about it. He's saying, I shouldn't have responded like that. He felt bad. He leaned over. He apologized to this fellow saying, I shouldn't have reacted the way I did. I'm sorry. Tell me, how long have you suffered from arthritis? And the fellow says, oh, I don't have arthritis, the guy said. I, I was just reading here in the paper that the Pope has it. <laughs> Uh, I I don't say that to be disrespectful in any way towards the Pope. I'm I'm just saying that sometimes we can say things and we can react in ways that get us into trouble. I I know I've been there, and probably you have been too. Uh, Maybe, though, we would get ourselves into less trouble if we spent more time in prayer. Uh, In fact, James chapter 1 connects prayer with wisdom. James said this, If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all men generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Now you may be asking in your mind, Why, Kevin, are you spending so much time on prayer? We've, We've looked at the subject of prayer all through the month of January, we're looking at it all through the month of February, and you may be wondering, why so much attention to this one subject? Let me tell you why. I think it's because prayer can change everything. And it can change you, and it can change me. If we would commit ourselves to prayer, we could become a different person. And that is my challenge to you over these two months, this series that we are in on the subject of prayer, is that you would give greater attention in your personal life to the subject of prayer, that you would go to God the Father on a regular basis, a daily basis, and that you would just spend time with him. I'm thinking if you would do that, if I would do that, we could be different people. I'm thinking back to the time in my life when I first began to deepen my commitment to prayer. I I changed from being a ho-hum person in my faith to become a person who was much stronger in my faith and more alive in my faith. And I think that could happen for any number of us who would not just hear these words about prayer, but that we would put them into practice. 
Don't let these words just go in one ear and out the other. Rather, let God's Word come into your ears and into your mind and into your heart and let Him change you. Wherever you're at in your prayer life right now, would you determine to go just a little deeper with Him and see what God would do in your life. I've had several folks over this series come to me and say that they were appreciative in what was being said and they were hearing it and they, in fact, were giving greater attention to prayer in their personal lives and what a difference it was making in their life. I hope that story is spread far and wide across our congregation. Another reason I'm giving such attention to prayer is Jesus gave attention to prayer. He practiced prayer and he taught about prayer. This morning, I want to spend some time in John chapter 17. This may be uh, in your Bibles listed as the high priestly prayer of Jesus. It's one of the last prayers that we have of him in the New Testament, besides the one on the cross as he's praying for those who are crucifying him, asking God to forgive them. But this is a very significant prayer. He's praying to God about his disciples. And as I was putting this sermon together, I was thinking, if this was a good prayer for Jesus to pray, wouldn't it be a good prayer for us to pray too, for one another? In fact, let me have them put on the screen these points. This is what the high priestly prayer of Jesus could be broken down into. We're not going to look at all of these points this morning. We're going to look at the first three. But this is what Jesus was praying to, to the Father about his disciples. And I have this list for you in your bulletin as well. You can take it home with you. And I'm thinking that this would be a good prayer for us to pray for each other as well as for our own loved ones. Let's jump into it. First of all, he prayed that they might know God. Verse 3 of John chapter 17, he says, This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. The word know here is much more than just having information about God. And we live in an information-filled society where at the click of a mouse we can have all kinds of information about God before us. In fact, this last week I had a, a fella come into my office and he was asking me a question about a Sunday school lesson that he was planning to teach today and uh, in a different church. And, and, and I typed into my computer this question that he was seeking the answer to and clicked the mouse, uh, uh, just pushed enter, and just that fast I had more information in front of me than what he could have possibly used. It really is an amazing tool. The web, the computer, it can be used for the good, but having information about God and knowing God are two completely different things. We can even have all of this information 
about God in our head, but if we don't have it here in our heart, then we are totally missing the boat. And Jesus was praying to the Father that his disciples would know him. That they would be intimately acquainted with him. In other words, he was praying that they would have a relationship with him. Not from just a distance, but an up-close and personal relationship. This word know, K-N-O-W, it is the same word that is used for when a husband and a wife come together physically. It's an intimacy like no other And what Jesus is saying is simply this. We can know God the Father intimately through the Son. And this verse says, this is eternal life. You want to know what eternal life is? It's not having more money. It's not having a bigger paycheck. It's not driving a nicer car. It's not living in a bigger house. It's not having all of the stuff that the world says is important. It's not winning the big game. That is not what eternal life is. Eternal life is found in knowing God the Father. And we need to make sure that we ourselves are knowing Him and that we are growing in Him. And those of us who are parents here in this auditorium, it is our responsibility to help our kids to know Him. My kids are all grown up now. But as they have been growing up in our household over the years past, and this prayer really hasn't changed, even though they are gone from the household now, I still pray it for them often. I pray that they would know God the Father. I I, I don't think there's anything that I wish more for my kids than this, that they would know God the Father and the Son, Jesus, intimately. If you want your kids to know God the Father, then you need to be modeling that for them. You need to be chasing after Him yourself and showing them what that really means in your life. And then you need to be encouraging them, praying for them, hoping for them that they would know personally God the Father. I want to encourage you parents to to move your kids in that direction. Help them be in church on a regular basis. Help them be a part of of the youth group on Sunday night and Wednesday night. Help them as as summer is coming around the corner to, to understand the importance of going to church camp and going to CIY. For it is in these settings that they can come to know God the Father better. There are so many options out there for our kids to give their time to and and their attention to, but there is only one road that leads to eternal life, and that is the road of knowing God and His Son, Jesus Christ. And so, parents, don't miss the opportunity to influence your kids to be on that road. With each point in this sermon, I'm going to have a time where we just stop and pray. And 
that is this time right now as we think about the importance of knowing God the Father intimately. Would you take a moment to pray for yourself, for your loved ones, your kids, your grandkids, that they would know God the Father intimately? And would you also look at who's sitting next to you on both sides and would you just say a prayer for them that they would know God intimately? Let me give to you a second point. As we're looking at this prayer that Jesus prayed for his disciples, he's not only praying that they would know God, but secondly, he's praying that God would keep them in his name. Let me read to you John chapter 17, verse 11. I am no longer in the world, yet they themselves are in the world. The they that he's referring to is his disciples. He's saying, they, they themselves are in the world, and I come to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, the name which you have given me. And so he is praying for his disciples. You remember a few weeks ago, I mentioned to you that Jesus is our intercessor. And that is exactly what he's doing right here for his disciples. He's praying that they will stay faithful to God, that they will be kept in his name. Jesus is not just interested in us making an initial decision to follow him, but he is interested in us staying true to him until our, our final breath is taken. Be faithful until death, Jesus said in Revelation chapter 2.10. And so why is it that we see so many people falling away? Well, we are told that we are in the last days, and that's what would be happening in the last days. Let me read to you from 1 Timothy chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. It says this, But the Spirit explicitly says that in later times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. I think Satan knows that we are in the last days. He knows that his time is short, so for him, there are no coffee breaks, there are no days of vacation, there are no times where he takes off and, and kicks back and, and relaxes. No, he is hard at it around the clock, day in and day uh, and night, and he, he takes no rest. He goes around the clock, and he is seeking to deceive us in our commitment to Jesus Christ. He wants to distract us from that commitment. Right now, I'm studying with a group of guys uh, on cults. And I am amazed at the deceptive power of of the evil one. He is an 
angel in disguise, Paul said. He masquerades himself as an angel of light, and he lies to us. And if we are not in the truth of God's Word and under his protective hand, then we too can be swept away by every wind of doctrine that comes our way. And that can happen to any one of us if we're not in this book right here, in the truth. And Jesus is praying for us to be kept in God's name. Do you remember the parable of the soils? Jesus told this parable, Matthew chapter 13. There were four kinds of soil that the seed fell on. If you remember, three of those four soils did not produce a harvest. And that's concerning. Those are not very good odds. The first soil was so hard that the birds came and they stole away the seed that had been thrown on the soil. The seed didn't even have time to take root and grow. And then there were the other two soils. The seed did not take root and grow for very long. It did for just a short while, but it didn't take long before that seed had been burned away through the deceitfulness of riches and the worries of the world and persecution. It all took its toll. And so many people fell away. I don't want that to be me. I don't want that to be true of my kids. And so often I pray to the Lord that He would protect them from the evil one, that they would never fall away. And if you have kids, if you have grandkids, you should be praying that prayer. Satan has his sights set on them and the world is harsh. And the more days that go by, the more harsh it gets. I'm thankful for the prayers that my mom prayed for me through the years. And I want to be that kind of prayer warrior for my kids until the day I die. I want to be crying out to God that He will deliver my kids from the evil one. In fact, we all ought to be praying that prayer for each other. Jesus had more to say about this in His prayer. Verse 24, He says this, Father, I desire that they also whom You have given Me be with Me where I am. You you see what he's praying about there? He's praying that his disciples would not miss heaven. That they would be able to go to heaven where he was going to be. That they would see him in his heavenly glory. Could we take a, a moment right now and pray? Would you pray for your kids and your grandkids that they would be kept in Jesus' name, that they would not miss heaven. Would you pray that right now and pray for the person next to you on both sides of you, that they would be kept in Jesus' name? Let me give to you point three. As we dissect this prayer of Jesus in John chapter 17, he prayed that they would be one. And this really was 
so heavy upon the heart of Jesus. It it appears over and over again in this prayer. Let me read to you verse 11. We've already read most of it, but I don't want you to see, uh, I don't want you to miss how the last part of this verse ends. He says, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. Let me read to you verses 20 through 23 of John 17. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, speaking of the disciples, but for those who also would believe in me through their word, that they may all be one even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one just as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. He really is concerned about unity. And did you note in this passage of Scripture who it is that he's praying for besides the disciples? He's praying for those who would hear his word through the disciples. Now, who's that? That's us. Jesus is praying for you and me. And I'm wondering if that does your heart Good as it does my heart good to know that Jesus was praying for me before I was even born. And what is it that he's praying for me about? What is it that he's praying for you about? He's praying that all of God's children would be united, that they would be one so that the world would believe. And I'm afraid maybe on this one he's shedding some tears. As he looks down from heaven upon his church, oftentimes, instead of seeing a church that is united, a church that is one, he sees a church that is fractured, a church that is divided, and it has to break his heart. And I'm not just talking about the denominational fractures, which is not what he had in mind when he established his church. But even within individual churches, sometimes the members of those churches struggle to get along. There is bitterness there. There is anger and selfishness and backbiting and slander and cliques. And those things are not what Jesus had in mind when he established his church. And what is the result? If indeed that is a picture that he sees of his church, the result will be that the world is scoffing at us and our effectiveness in winning the world will be greatly diminished. Well, what is the answer for all of this? This divisiveness, this this fragmented church. What is the answer? The answer is almost too simplistic. It sounds too simplistic. The answer is Jesus in us. 
We need a Christ-centered life, and we need His wisdom, and we need His Holy Spirit to fill us and, and guide us and to teach us how to love each other. Can denominationalism be fixed? I know one day it will be fixed. It will be completely fixed. When Jesus comes back, denominationalism will be fixed. This group thinks they have the truth, and this group thinks they have the truth, and one day the truth will appear in the sky, and he will come back for his people and denominationalism, all of, the, all of the, the lines of denominationalism will be taken away. That'll be a precious day. For when we get to heaven, there's, there's not going to be the Baptist over here, and there's not going to be the, the Church of Christ over here, and, and, and the Nazarenes here, and, and, and the Pentecostals over here, none of that. We will be one, worshiping at the feet of Jesus, And it's not going to be the name over the church door that's going to get us into heaven. Because He is the door. And there will be no one get into heaven apart from Him. But once we are there, we will all be one and we will be worshiping Him in one accord. It is going to be absolutely amazing. And I hope you will be there. What can we do? Here until that day comes to help with the, this, this fragmented church, one thing we can do is to, is to find common ground. And that common ground is Jesus. And to serve Jesus together. One thing you're going to be hearing over the weeks to come, uh, uh, a ministry that our church is going to get involved with, with other churches in the community, we're going to be joining hands and trying to help with this issue of poverty in Fort Scott. And that's one way that we can bring unity to the Lord's church. It's not going to erase the denominational lines. I don't know, honestly, that those lines will be erased until he comes back. But may the May the world be able to look on and see the church of Jesus Christ trying to cross denominational barriers and serve Him to help other people. But what about this body of believers? We can do something about this body of believers. We can strive for oneness in this body, and each and every one of us should be doing our part. Romans chapter 12, verse 18 says, If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. And so my challenge to you is, you do your part in getting along with the person who is across the aisle from you. You love them. With the love of Jesus, you pray for them. You meet their needs. You be kind to them. You be an encourager to them. Let your mouth be used to the building up of the kingdom rather than to the tearing down of the kingdom. Let's pray together.
And would you pray for the unity of this church body and would you pray that love would reign among us? To such a point that Jesus will be honored and pleased. Our church is 42 years old today. And I dare say, if we're going to last another 42 years and be effective in our ministry, then we will need to take to heart what Jesus prayed about in John chapter 17. That that we would be knowing God. That we would be kept in His name. And that we would be one. And each of those points that follow, that those points would be true in our lives. That's what the church needs to look like. And you and I can help that to happen. Let's, let's stand together, please, and let's sing.